If you want to find a seat, we'll go ahead and get started. I want to take a moment and I want to welcome you. We just wrapped up our series, Try Slow. How many of you loved that series? It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to welcome you to our new series called Attitude Adjustment. Yeah, yeah. A hundred percent your dad said that when he gave you a spank. I know it. I mean, how many of you would agree, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, that our attitude affects everything? Our attitude affects everything that we do. Most of you know, no, probably not. I'm going to take that back. Most of you probably do not know that my husband, David, and I, we just moved. Um, We just moved this last week into a home in Plain City. I'm now Denise's neighbor, which is super, I know. And this has been the longest process. It has been close to a year of looking at homes, of talking about if this was what we were doing or not, of stressing out, of praying, of making offers, of offers being declined, of so on and so on and so on. A year of our life. And our attitude has literally had to be everything. It has had to be on point. And I will tell you that we have not been perfect at it. That is for sure. But we've worked hard to bring each other back when we were heading down a dark, hard path. And just before we were able to do our final close and take possession of the home, we were stressed to the max because of a hundred different things that happened in that scenario. But that morning we got up and we sat down and we had a heart to heart conversation. And we had the conversation that went something like, we have a choice in this. We have a choice of what kind of attitude we're gonna have in this process and what kind of attitude we're going to have from here on out. And we can have joy in the process, and we can be excited about the process, and we can laugh. Or we can just be kind of jerks about the whole thing and pout and get frustrated. And we made a choice that we were going to have a good attitude about it. And it was all the difference in the world, honestly. And this, so, this whole series is about encouraging us to have an attitude adjustment, not just that what each other would consider good, but an attitude that is pleasing to God. An attitude that we bring before the throne to God. When I think about my attitude, 
and one that is pleasing to God. It is so hard. It is so hard. It is honestly not possible to think about the amount of times my attitude has not been pleasing to God. I know that it is easy to take a message like this and be thinking of every person in your life that you wish was here right now listening. Or you're hoping that maybe even the person next to you is listening extra hard to this message. But please, as always, would you ask God to speak to you and you alone during this time? And would you please trust the fact that he has the same desire to speak to every other loved one in your life, even those that aren't here tonight? So when we think about our attitudes, and we think about attitudes that maybe haven't been pleasing, we have to think of the times that we haven't been grateful that we haven't been thankful for everything that we have. We have to think about the fact that we come to church or we drive in our car and we sing songs about how it's your breath in my lungs. It's your breath in my lungs. And it quite literally is. The fact that each of us is sitting here today breathing that we're just here alive, that we have a life that we've been given, how grateful have we been or how ungrateful have we been? And then we have to think of the times we've not always had a selfless attitude where we've considered others before ourselves. But instead, we've maybe had a me-first attitude, mine, that should be me, that should be mine, all the way down to the fact that maybe we haven't given the best bite or slice of pizza to those around us because we wanted it. We wanted it. And then we have to think about an attitude of pride that may possibly be the most deceitful attitude of all where we can start to think of the fact that we know more than anybody else in the room, that we are probably better at something than other people. And then what can happen from there is we can drift into this place where God is not the author and perfecter of our faith, let alone our life. Because we start idolizing too many things around us including our feelings. I don't know if you can find yourself anywhere on that list, but we all know how our attitude can not only influence ourselves, but all the people we surround ourselves with in our workplace, in our home, in our church, everywhere. I mean, I'm quite certain most of us have heard something like, go to your room until you've got a different attitude. Will you pray with me? 
Father God, we come before you and we ask that you would speak to us each individually. That is what you desire to do. You desire to commune with each of us on such a personal and individual level. And God, we thank you that you are here and that you love the church, which is made up of each of these individuals in this room. And we thank you for this time that is so precious and set aside to bring you worship and to glorify your name. And so we ask that you have your way with each of us tonight. And we lift this all up in Jesus, your son's precious name. Amen. So tonight I want to take a look at a particular attitude. And it's an open, willing attitude versus a closed off attitude. And I love talking about this subject because I feel like my life's course has been changed forever because of the fact I decided to take the stance of having an open, willing attitude. Probably, I think it's been six or seven years ago now. I think I've always been a pretty willing, open person. But my daughter Megan and I joined a book group at church six years ago. And the book that we decided to read, we had no idea how much it would change every person's life. And the book was called Anything. In the start of the book, the premise, the author talks about how she finally got to a place in her life where she found herself on her bathroom floor in the middle of the night, sobbing tears, and essentially saying, anything, God, anything. I don't care what it is. I'm going to give you my marriage. Do anything with it. I'm going to give you my career. Do anything with it. I'm going to give you my children. Do anything. I'm going to give you everything and say, anything, God. I'll do anything for you. And so the whole book challenged you to a place where you would take little parts of your life and you would be like, oh, no, I am tight-fisting that. I think I've given that to God, but I really haven't given it to God because I really don't mean it when I say anything. Because what if that anything is my house? What if that anything is the state I live in? What if that anything is the career that I love and brings me joy and God surely wouldn't ask me to leave that? He wouldn't do that, would he? I remember, and I've told you guys this a few times before, but when Megan had to have brain surgery, I remember before she went in, I had gotten myself to a place, not that, it, it, not that I didn't falter, not that I didn't waver, but when they took her back, I said, anything, God, I trust you. I trust you. If this doesn't go well, you're still God. 
and I believe that, and I know you love my daughter more than I ever could. And that's a whole lot. And so this book took me on a journey of constantly going, okay, God, I'll do anything. I just want to follow you. I just want to follow you. And I felt deep inside there had to be more than this cookie-cutter life that had been carved out, this American dream that has been thrown in front of our faces. So that was the first time when God kind of showed me a picture of moving and downsizing and getting rid of the big home and possibly changing careers. And my husband and I started on a journey. Now, don't get me wrong, I was more anything than Dave was. <laughs> Dave was like, what are we doing right now? <laughs> but it definitely provided conversation and places to go that we'd never been in our walk of faith before. And when we look at what does it look like to live a life with an open, willing attitude to whatever God asks of us, it takes that trust to the next level. It takes that, I'll jump in to the next level. And when we look at the Bible, there's few people that display this and show it more clearly than a guy named Abram. And so we're going to take a look at little snapshots of his life. In Genesis 12, 1 through 4, it says this. It says, God had told Abram, leave your own country behind you and your own people and go to the land I will guide you to. If you do, I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make your name famous, and you will be a blessing to many others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and the entire world will be blessed because of you. And I love this because most of us in our lives are like, oh yeah, sure, that's nice for Abram because God told him, everything that comes after the leave your own country behind you. And because then he goes on and tells him, I'll bless you. I'll make your name famous. Most of the time with God, with us, doesn't it feel like he's just like, do this? And we're like, okay, but why? And what are you going to do? And then silence, silence. But the truth is this was asking so much of Abram, so much. This guy, he had it all. This was big. This was not a small thing. And not only that, God didn't tell him much except go. Go. And then he says, I will do all these things. But the amount of faith and trust Abram had to have. And I love verse 4 because it says, so Abram departed as the Lord instructed him. Now, I heard, this is not 
accurate theology. I don't know if this is true or not, but I love the word of God because it causes us to kind of ask questions. Someone one time said, I wonder if God asked anybody before Abram. And how many didn't go? You know, it's really something to think about. Was there anyone else that he asked that was like, I, I just can't do it. I don't think I can go. Because we see pictures of that in the Bible, and we definitely see pictures of that in the life that we live today. Because God will never force us. He'll simply ask. And then it's up to us if we step out and go. Accomplishing God's will, it begins with a willing attitude. Accomplishing God's will begins with a willing attitude. And Abram certainly had that. We move on. There's a lot of story that comes in between. But when we get to Genesis 22, 1 through 19, God has changed his name to Abraham. And we find probably one of the most challenging stories in the entire Bible. I was talking to my husband about it this morning, and he's like, oh my gosh, that story messes me up. <laughs> it messes a lot of us up for good reason. So here we find God say, Abraham, God called. Yes, Lord, he replied. Take with you your only son. Yes, Isaac. I love, it leaves nothing out, whom you love so much. And go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I'll point out to you. That's a lot to take in just right there. What? What? Take with you your only son, whom you love so much, and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. This is, this is radical faith and obedience, you guys. This is like the amount that Abraham had to know God's character the amount he had to trust that God would come through, the amount that he knew his Lord. Verse 3, the next morning. The next morning, that, that quick obedience, that I will go attitude, Abraham got up early chopped wood for the fire upon the altar, saddled his donkey, and took with him his son Isaac and two young men who were his servants and started off to the place where God had told him to go. On the third day of the journey, Abraham saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the young men, and the lad and I will travel, travel yonder and worship and come right back. He knew. 
Somehow deep inside, he knew. He had an open, willing attitude to obey God, but he knew that God would come through. He didn't know what it would look like. We never know what it will look like, you guys. He doesn't promise us that we will know what it looks like. We just have to know that he will come through because that's what he does. That's who he is. That is his character. It's up to us to the next morning get up and go. It's up to him how it plays out. Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering upon Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the knife and the flint for striking a fire. So the two of them went on together. Father, Isaac asked, we have the wood and the flint to make the fire, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Verse 8, God will see to it. My son, Abraham replied, and they went on. Abraham wasn't shaking in his boots and going, Isaac, I don't know, like, God asked me to do this, and I'm not sure, but, you know, he's like, God will see to it. Maybe his voice caught. Maybe he was shaking. But he spoke his faith and trust. When they arrived at the place, and can I just pause here and say, part of the reason Abraham was so certain was because why? God had already come through time and again. When we sing, all my life you have been faithful, we have to look at those moments and look and go, he's come through time and again. That's who he is. When they arrived at the place where, that God had told Abraham to go, he built an altar and placed the wood in order, ready for the fire. Oh boy, this is where it gets hard, right? And then tied Isaac and laid him on the altar over the wood. And Abraham took the knife and lifted it up to plunge it into his son. At that moment, the angel of God shouted to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Lord, he answered. Verse 12, lay down the knife. Do not hurt the lad in any way, the angel said. For I know, you guys, don't miss this. Don't miss this line that God is first in your life. For I know that God is first in your life. You have not withheld even your beloved son from me. Is God first in your life? Is he first? What are you clinging tight to? What are you not willing and open about? What are you this and this, but not anything? Anything. 
In John 6, 38, it says, For I have come here from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to have my own way, not to have my own way, but to do the will of God. That is our life's purpose. That is why we are here. But that means you have to have an open, willing attitude. Because we never know what God's going to ask of us or where he's going to call us or what he wants to do through us. We don't know. We have to lay our stuff here and say anything. I was reading this week something a pastor wrote, and I think it is the depth of truth of where we are at in society, in this world, And this is what he wrote. He said, selfishness is satanic. Not only that, it is deadly. We are seeing the highest levels of depression, anxiety, and suicide in America's history. And very few are talking about why. One of the biggest reasons is because we are focused on ourselves. The human is a machine that runs on God, just like your car runs on gasoline. I spoke about this a couple weeks ago in my message. We were built by God for God. Our souls were made to run on God. So when we find ourselves focused on ourselves, everything in our body and our soul gets out of whack. He goes on to say, God conditions the heart to turn outward, like gasoline makes an engine fire, causing your car to go down the road. When we begin to focus on ourselves, we turn our attention inward. We get in our heads and we cannot get out. What do they think of me? Do they like me? How can I get them to like my post? Me, me, me. This is like having a car, filling the tank with salt water and letting it sit there. Self-centered thoughts are toxic to our well-being. There's lots of talk right now about removing toxic people from our lives. However, today I believe our greater concern is our own toxic habits. We are to do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, consider others more important than ourselves. Instead, we want to be considered more important than anyone, and it is literally killing us from the inside out. And the enemy loves it. He doesn't need you to worship him. He'll accept your worship of self just fine. Yeah. I mean, if we catch nothing this whole series, we need to catch that. Our attitude always smells stinky when we're thinking about ourselves, but it can't help but be fragrant when we're thinking of others. And when God is first in our lives, we're always going to be others-focused. Because when we get off track, he nudges us back in such a loving, gentle way. That's who he is. 
In Isaiah 6, 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He didn't force him. He didn't beg him. He didn't make him. He just said, I'm asking, who will go? And Isaiah said, I'll go. Send me. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'll go. I'll go. Just like Abraham got up the next morning and went. In John 4.34, Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and finishing his work. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God. We talk about health and wholeness and wellness. And I'm not saying, I, I think you guys know this, I'm a huge, huge advocate of counseling and therapy and all the things. But our nourishment, our soul's nourishment comes from doing the will of God. Accomplishing God's will begins with a willing attitude. I never in a million years, I don't know, mom, when I was a little girl, did I ever say, hey, I want to be a pastor when I grow up? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, I sure didn't. Never in a million years when I opened that book, anything did I think it would end up here? And definitely never did my husband think it would end up here. But my soul feels nourished in a way it's never felt nourished before. And part of that is definitely pastoring for sure. Part of that is being in community and family with you all. But most of that is sitting on a regular basis and going, anything, God. I don't know. If he doesn't want me to do this tomorrow, I won't do it tomorrow. My husband and I have told very few people that we were moving, because most people's response was, again? Because we just moved three and a half years ago. When we downsized and we moved to that smaller house in Syracuse, and we sold over half our stuff, and we got to that place, and my husband was like, babe, like God was so clear about that, and we did that. And he's like, I wonder why. And I said, well, for one thing, it got us to a place where I was able to step aside from my career that I'd had for 21 years that gave us space for me to even be open and willing when God said, hey, what if you did this? 
and I said yes to coming here and pastoring. If we'd stayed where we were, there's no way that would have been on the table. My dad had passed away just then. It gave us a place to heal and rest. We didn't know what was coming with Megan. Gave me space and time to not work so I could be with her while she healed. That was just part of it. Now, God said, how about if you were closer to the campus where you serve? So now I'm 14 minutes away. Is that the whole picture? I doubt it. I doubt it. He's always doing more than we think. It's always bigger than we think. I just know we're like, we're open. And my husband say, babe, if we ever move again, it will kill me. That very well may be true. But at the same time, we're like, I don't know. God does what God does. What if he asks us to move next year? Oh, dear God, I hope not. But what if he did? You know? Are you open and are you willing? Because accomplishing God's will begins with a willing attitude. A willing attitude. What are you not open to God doing in you today? What are you not open to God saying to you today? What are you not open to God asking of you? What is something you've not been willing to start or stop? What is something that is hard for you to trust God with? I want you to begin praying and surrendering this to God. And I want you to ask God to help you adopt this willing attitude. Because it's not easy. It's not easy. You guys, we talk about it, but it's so easy to trust him. It is hard to trust him. But we have heroes of the faith, like Abraham, where we can look and we can go, I'll just take the step when God says go. We're going to end our service tonight, and Stephanie and Carly, if you guys want to come up. We're going to end tonight celebrating communion together as a family. You know, at the Last Supper, Jesus had at his table, right? His table. He had a friend that would betray him. (laughs) And that betrayal would eventually take him to the cross, right? He had a friend at his table who would deny him, not one time, not two times, but three. He had fishermen. He had tax collectors. He didn't have anybody with a huge social media following. He didn't have anybody that was rich or famous. 
He had imperfect people sitting around the table, just like you and me. That's who he sat at the table with. And after the meal, he would wash their feet. That's what having a willing, open attitude looks like. Who is at your table? Whose feet are you willing to wash? Who are you inviting? Who are you inviting to your table? More of him, less of me. More of him, less of me. So as we come to celebrate communion, I want to I want to walk you through a little bit of the who, what, why, when, and where that we do this. So just so you know, if you've not been here or done this with us since we started with these fancy things, your wafer, your bread, is on the top. So you'll just peel back that top layer, and then your juice is inside the cup. Now who comes to communion? Anybody that says, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. You are welcome at the table. Everybody is invited to this table. If you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you are here checking things out and learning, this is the perfect place for you to be. Please never feel obligated to partake in communion. That is not an obligation This is something that we do in remembrance of what he did for us on the cross, for the forgiveness of sin, the blood poured out for each one of us, his body broken for each of us. That salvation that Carly talked about when the veil was torn. When do we do this? We do it once a month at Crossroads, but some churches do it every week. Some do it once a year. There is no right or wrong. This is how we have chosen to celebrate communion. Why do we do it? Because he asked us to. This is something he asked us to do. But my heart's desire is that we would have the right heart and posture as we come forward Meaning, I want you to look to your left. I want you to look to your right. And I want you to see your family. Because he desired us to be family around a table, in unity, the church. These are your people. These are your people. And this is sacred and it is special. And so I want you to take it in. So tonight, I'm going to ask that you all line up. Whoever's first, Steph is going to hand you your communion. If you're gluten-free, please make sure you let her know that. The reason I want you to line up and come forward is there is something to us coming forward to receive the body and blood of Christ. And then go ahead and go back to your seats, and I will pray, and we will take it. So please go ahead and line up.
Lord, we come before you. We sit at your table. We ask that you bind us together as family in unity. We ask that we never take this lightly, that this would never become a religious thing that we do, a step that we take, but we would recognize the true impact. We don't know how this works. <laughs> we don't understand, God, all the details of how this works. We just know that you say in your word, that this is your body broken for us, and this is your blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. And we just say yes to everything you have for us. And we do pray that you would, you would create in us that open, willing attitude to go where you go, to do what you ask, And so as we partake of the bread and the juice, we say thank you for who you are and all you are doing in us and through us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.
as we end tonight. We're going to have a prayer team come forward and they're going to be available for prayer. As always, for anything happening in your life, it doesn't have to be, I need an attitude adjustment, though it can be that. But prayer for anything in your life, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. And again, it's that posture to come forward and say, will you pray for me? There is something about that posture. And I want to encourage you, please come back all four weeks as we go through this series and we talk about a pleasing attitude before the Lord. I love you all. Amen.